Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's Word. Enjoy the message. I want to begin today's message with a statement. Our goal in life is happiness. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? Think about that. Our goal in life is happiness. Now, before you say whether you agree or disagree, before I share with you whether or not I agree with that statement, I want you to think about this. What makes you happy? Think about that for a moment. What makes you happy? Maybe it's a great meal or hanging with great people. For those of us who are grandparents, being with your grandkids makes you happy, right? Lisa and I had a little grandkid time earlier this week, and uh, we've got pictures and videos if any of you want to see those. What makes you happy? Maybe it's being underneath a warm blanket with a good book and a good cup of coffee, right? It might be even getting that task checked off the to-do list that makes you feel so happy. And doesn't it feel good when we feel happy? I mean, even our uh, Declaration of Independence says that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among those are life, liberty, and what? Pursuit of happiness. Think about how much money is spent for a few moments of the feeling of happiness or a few hours of happiness. So I come back to that statement, our goal in life is happiness. Do you agree or disagree? I actually agree with this statement. If we add one very important part, our goal in life is God's happiness. Our goal in life is God's happiness, not ours. We are in the third and final message in this three-part series called, It's Not About Me. It's not about me. Can you just say that right now? It's not about me. Would you please stand, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, which is the chapter that we'll be in for the entirety of this message Once you make it to Luke chapter 15 in the New Testament, scroll down to verse 32 where we will begin our message today. Luke chapter 15 verse 32 says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And Lord, I pray that through our time together today, we will get your heart. In your name, amen. You can be seated. As we begin this year, it's crucial, it's crucial that we get a few things straight. And it's crucial that we keep those things straight. First and foremost, Yahweh is God and we are not. He's the creator, we're the created. He knows everything we know in part. He's on the throne. The reason why we exist is because of him. The reason why you just took that last breath was because of him. It's all because of him. It's good and it's so important for us to begin this year to get that straight and keep that straight that he is God and we are not. And if it is true that our life is to revolve around him, shouldn't our goal in life be centered on God's happiness 
shouldn't be centered on what makes God happy. And so then the question then is raised before us, what makes God happy? What makes God happy? Well, I said a moment ago that we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And just to begin, I, I believe an accurate summation of the entire chapter, Luke chapter 15, the, the summation of Jesus' words and Jesus' teachings in that one chapter would lend the response to the question, what makes God happy, to this response. What makes God happy is when one who was lost is found. God is the happiest when one who was lost is found. The chapter contains three of Jesus' parables, the parable of the lost uh, sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. And we have to understand something that as Jesus is sharing these parables, it's, it's so much more than just story time with Jesus, all right? This is revelation. Jesus, through parables, was giving us a better understanding, a more accurate grasp of who God is. So not just what God is like, but what God likes, what makes him happy. I'm sure everyone in this place has lost something at some time or another in the parables. A man lost one of his sheep, then a woman lost one of her coins, a man lost one of his sons. We've all lost things. How many of you ever lost your wallet or your purse, at least for a little while? Some of you might be like, I didn't lose it, I just misplaced it for like three years. Okay? You lost a wallet, maybe, uh, maybe your phone. That's pretty bad, right? You're like, what? What's going on? I don't have my We notice it after a while if we don't have our phone. Maybe you've lost a kid, but worst of all, <laughs> worst of all, and we all would agree, it's the remote control. You know what I'm saying? Like, literally game over. Literally game over. Can't find the remote. Horrible. Well, the New Century Version for our Bible actually uses the word happy to describe the person in each one of these parables who found what they had lost. They found what they had lost. And what we see in these parables is that uh, this man um, lost one of his 100 sheep. Uh, this woman lost one of her 10 coins. This man lost one of his two sons. We can all relate to loss, but what really stands out, I believe, in these parables is how the people reacted upon discovering that they had lost something. Verse 4 says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep? Verse 8, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully? See, there were one hundred sheep. The man loses one, and he actually thinks it's a big deal. Now, we read that, and it's like, one out of a hundred? That's not bad. Some of you are like, man, you got one of your two kids? You're like, hey, that's good. That's good. Don't know where the other one's at, but one out of 100 sheep? And this guy is actually worked up about it. This woman loses one of ten. She has nine other ones, but she gets all worked up because she lost one. One. And I believe one of the, the, the truths that we see in, in this parable that really jumps out as a major point for us is that the God who created all things notices everything. The God who created all things notices everything and cares about everyone. We see that so often in what Jesus would talk about. In one instance he said, consider the ravens. The birds, they, they, they neither sow nor reap. They don't have a storehouse or a barn, and yet God provides for them. 
How much more valuable are you than birds? And then in another instance, he talked about sparrows. Um, sparrows sold for a penny. Multiple ones just for a penny. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. When I read this scripture this week, I thought back to when I was a little kid and I had a slingshot. Now, why in the world parents would allow their kid to go buy a slingshot? I have no idea, but I had one, and I, I, I enjoyed it. And I remember practicing with it. We had some gravel in the, in, in the, by a driveway or whatever it was. I remember just getting that out and just, whoo. I'm sure my dad loved it when he was mowing the grass later that day. So I just got these rocks, and I'm just, shoom. And, and I was like, I'm getting a little better. And so one day, I still remember this, I, I looked up and there was a bird up on the other side of the chain link fence, on the other side from where I was. And I was like, this is my moment. I picked out a rock and I got the slingshot out and I'm just like, eyeing it. And I was feeling good about this. Like, I got this guy in my sights. And I'm like, and I'll never forget this. I let the rock go. And I'm just like, dead bird, here we go. My first slain right here. I'll never forget, the rock flies, the rock is going right for the bird's head, and at the last moment, the bird just did this. <laughs> I was like, what? No way! And I thought about that this, this week when I was reading this scripture. Is like, not one bird will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And I think God was maybe like, Keith, all right, stop trying to kill birds. Like, like, do something else with your life. Maybe like, go work on your pitching, because I saw you in the last game, and you need help. I don't know. And Jesus went on to say, and even the very hairs of your head were all numbered, so you're more valuable than the ravens. God doesn't even let a bird fall to the ground outside of his care. And how much more valuable are you? How much more valuable are you? We see in, in these parables and we see in what Jesus spoke and we see throughout Scripture that the God who created all things sees everything, notices everything, even you, even everyone, cares about everyone and what we see next is this, that our God, who sees everything, notices everything, doesn't stop pursuing a person even if everyone else has. Doesn't stop. He doesn't stop pursuing even one person on planet Earth, even if everyone else has. Think about what the shepherd did after he discovered the sheep was lost. Verse 4, once again. He leaves the 99 in the open country, goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. The woman, after she loses a coin, she, she lights a lamp, sweeps the house, searches carefully until she finds it. She's on her hands and her knees going after it until, until, until they find it. And what we, what we see is that they, they had other important matters at hand, but the most important matter at hand was finding that which was lost. And so everything else became secondary. Everything else became secondary to finding that which was lost. Key word, these two phrases is the word until. Never giving up, going after it. Go, go, go. And I have to ask the question, well, why would the shepherd leave the 99 sheep, which was his responsibility, and travel and journey in order to find that one? Sheep are dumb. Why would he spend the emotion and the time and the energy and the finances to go and travel and to find the one? And the only real answer I could come up with is he went after that sheep because it was his. 
that sheep was once part of his flock. That's why it mattered. Why did the woman search so hard until she found that coin? It's because it was her coin. It was part of her collection. And it was lost. And that's what we see in these parables. The shepherd describes the sheep as my sheep. The woman describes the coin as my coin. The father described the son as coming from my family. This son of mine. Here's the thing. When it's yours, you care more. When it's yours, you care more. All of us at different times have received a notification on our phones. It's an amber alert. Or we see something on the news. What is it? It's a child who is lost. It's a child maybe that's been abducted or kidnapped. And, and we all know what that's like to get that on our phone. And we read that. And, 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 and all of us, when we get that, we're like, oh, that's so sad, isn't it? You're just like, oh, it just hits you. You're like, oh, my goodness. It's so sad. And, and we might even take a moment and stop what we're doing and pray right then. It's like, Lord, I pray that they'll be found, that they'll be safely returned. And then what do we do? We go on. We do. We go on to the next thing on our list. We go back to what we were doing. But what if we bring it home a little bit this morning? What if that was your child? What if that was your child? Do you just go on to the next thing? Come on. No way. Everything, and I mean everything, stops right in that moment, right? All of a sudden, you are all in. Nothing else even matters. You don't care. You don't care. It's not even that it's secondary. It's not even on the list. And there is no sacrifice and there is no cost that is too great for you to find your child. You're going to relentlessly pursue them no matter what it takes, right? Because that's your child. When it's yours, you care more. When it's yours, you care more. And these parables reveal something about how God views every single person on planet earth. He views them as his. As his. We might say, well, where, uh, where did you come from? And uh, the, the first answer might be, well, I came from my parents. You hear my parents? I came from my mother's womb, you know. <laughs> That's where I came from. But go back further, what did the psalmist say? God, you created my inmost being. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Before one of my days came to be, you had already ordained all of them in your book. Right? Your eyes saw my unformed body. Where did we come from? From the mind of God. From the hand of God. And as we look at almost 8 billion people on planet Earth, we have to remember how God sees them, and I believe God sees them as his. And that's why God relentlessly pursues the person and never gives up, even though everyone else maybe has. He just 
relentlessly pursues. And not just he relentlessly pursues you, but he relentlessly pursues everyone. Consider a lost person. A lost person is just not, is not just another face or name on God's Amber Alert. Oh, yeah, that's another one. It's not like that. Every single one is one that was planned by God, known by God, seen by God. Every lost person fashioned by God and relentlessly pursued by God. And the part that I love most in these stories that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 is the reaction of the people when they found what was lost. I love it. I love how they react. I love how they responded. It just draws you in. And it would have drawn the crowd in that day as Jesus was sharing them live 2,000 years ago. Verse 5 says that when the shepherd finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The woman, and when she finds it, verse 9, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The man, when he found his sheep, the woman, when she found her coin, went absolutely berserk. Right? This man joyfully puts on a smelly, stinky sheep on his shoulders. You imagine the stench. And runs as fast as he can, carrying this sheep, in order to get his friends together and say, rejoice with me. I found one. I don't even know if his friends cared. They got their own sheep. They got their own things. This guy's a hundred sheep, and he's going crazy about one. This woman has nine other coins, and she goes crazy about one. In the same way, in the same way. Our Father rejoices in the same way all of heaven erupts. Let me ask you, is it hard to picture the holy, majestic God who is on his throne with everything in the universe revolving around him? And when one of the almost 8 billion people, just one, in some country, some city, some community of the world, repents. This is just hard for me to imagine. hundred million angels around, around the throne worshiping, 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 worshiping. And all of a sudden, one person in some community somewhere, whether it's Midland or it's Calcutta, somewhere, that person repents and surrenders their life to the Lord and re- receives his grace and his forgiveness. And all of a sudden, this holy, majestic God stops everything that is happening, and a dance party begins. Is that hard for you to even grasp? It is for me. The holy, majestic God. I mean, he like doesn't even have to snap his fingers and the earth could be gone. But yet, if there is one person, it's an 8-year-old or an 88-year-old, responds to the gospel and accepts the good news of Jesus Christ, Everything in heaven stops, boom, and the dance party begins. That blows me away to think about the reaction of our God and of all of heaven and these massive angels. Here's the thing. God is the happiest when one who was lost is found. 
God is the happiest when one who is lost is found. We think about God, holy, majestic God, reacting like that. And, and I know for me it just can be hard to wrap my mind around that. But maybe God's reaction shouldn't be so surprising to us. Let's go back to the painful illustration that I brought up a few moments ago about your child being abducted and kidnapped. It's your child. Everything else stops. Now it's been six months. It's been six months since you saw their smile. Six months uh, since you put them down at bed at, to bed at night. Six months since you heard them laugh. Six months. Everybody else has given up. And then late, 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 one night, you're in bed and you hear a on your door. And you slip out of bed and you don't know what's going on. And you, you open the door and there is a policeman holding your sleeping child. How do you react? You're probably going to start weeping. You're probably going to grab your child and hold on to them and maybe not let go for like three years. You, you might, after you grab your little one or your grandkid or your nephew, whoever it is, you grab them, you're probably going to melt to the floor, right? Your legs are probably going to give out. They're probably going to give out. You're going to melt to the floor. And then when you muster enough strength and you realize this is actually true, like this is actually happening, this is not a dream. What do you do? You probably start telling people. You probably start getting the word out, right? You probably start uh, helping people understand what has just happened. You're probably not just going to go back to bed or back to watching that movie, right? Because what just happened was life-changing. What just happened is one who was gone is now here, one who was lost is now found. One who those people thought was dead is now alive. Maybe God's reaction is not as surprising maybe as we might initially think. Because he's the happiest when one who was lost is found. I find the reaction of the father in, in this parable to, to be maybe the most incredible, the most extraordinary. Maybe we can relate more because most of us don't have sheep and most of us have more than 10 coins, right? And so it, I, I think it just stands out to me more. But it also is extraordinary when you remember what the son had done prior to his leaving. And Pastor David uh, touched on this a few weeks ago in his awesome message on January 1st. But you have to understand that as Jesus was telling these parables, I can see the people that had gathered around Jesus on that day tracking with him. They're like, shepherd, sheep, get it, um, Coin, losing it, like, oh, I lose stuff all the time. You could see them tracking. Then he gets to this one, and I believe this was turning a corner for these people, and I believe that they're leaning in a little bit more. Actually, I think they would have been a little shocked because Jesus says this. Jesus says that the son, the youngest son, went to his father and asked for the inheritance. And at that point, the people would have been like, what? No, uh no way. Didn't happen. He's making that up. 
Because in Middle Eastern culture, th this would be the equivalent of a, a, a young man going to his father and saying, Dad, I want you to drop dead. And what likely would happen at that point is the father, in hearing that, would have slapped his son across the face, demanded that he leave the home, and probably he would never be allowed to return. And when you understand that and try to understand what this son did to his father, it makes it extraordinary when you see what happened when the son finally did humbly come home. Verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. Well, what's the big deal? Read through scriptures and you're not going to find record of God rejoicing when we graduate with another degree. That doesn't bring him off the throne. Read through scriptures and you're not going to find record of God just rejoicing when we help an elderly person with groceries. Or we have a good church service. Those are good. But what causes all of heaven to erupt in celebration is when one who is lost is found. Because God is the happiest when the lost are found. Five years ago, Lacey read a story from Philip Yancey as he did a modern retelling of this Luke chapter 15 parable. I asked her to come to read this again. And as she shares, I encourage you, lean in and let this impact you. A young girl <clears throat> grows up on a cherry orchard just above Traverse City, Michigan. Her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact to her nose ring, the music she listens to, and the length of her skirts. They ground her a few times and she seethes inside. I hate you, she screams at her father when he knocks on the door of her room after an argument. And that night, she acts on a plan she has mentally rehearsed scores of times. She runs away. She's visited Detroit only once before on a bus trip with her church youth group to watch the Tigers play. Because newspapers in Traverse City report in lurid detail the gangs, drugs, and violence in downtown Detroit, she concludes that is probably the last place her parents will look for her. California maybe, or Florida, but not Detroit. Her second day there, she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride, buys her lunch, and arranges a place for her to stay. He gives her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life continues for a month, two months, a year. The man with the big car, she calls him boss, teaches her a few things that men like. Since she's underage, Men pay a premium for her. She lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. 
Occasionally, she thinks about the folks back home, but their lives now seem so boring that she can hardly believe she grew up there. She has a brief scare when she sees her picture printed on the back of a milk carton with the headline, Have you seen this child? But by now, she has blonde hair, and with all the makeup and body-piercing jewelry she wears, nobody would mistake her for a child. Besides, most of her friends are runaways, and nobody squeals in Detroit. After a year, the first signs of illness appear, and it amazes her how fast her boss turns mean. These days, we can't mess around, he growls, and before she knows it, she's out on the streets without a penny to her name. She still turns a couple of tricks a night, but they don't pay much, and all the money goes to support her drug habit. When winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on metal grates outside the big department stores. Sleeping is the wrong word. A teenage girl at night in Detroit can never relax her guard. Dark bands circle her eyes. Her cough worsens. One night, as she lies awake listening for footsteps, all of a sudden, everything about her life looks different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty and she's hungry. She needs a fix. She pulls her legs tight underneath her and shivers under the newspapers she's piled on top of her coat. Something jolts her memory and a single image fills her mind of May in Traverse City when a million cherry trees bloom at once, with her golden retriever dashing through the rows and rows of blossomy trees in chase of a tennis ball. God, why did I leave? She says to herself, and pain stabs at her heart. My dog back home eats better than I do now. She's sobbing, and she knows in a flash that more than anything else in the world, she wants to go home. Three straight phone calls, Three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times. But the third time she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and it'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it hits Canada. It takes about seven hours for a bus to make all the stops between Detroit and Traverse City. And during that time, she realizes all the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town and miss the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or so until she could talk to them? I mean, even if they are home, they probably wrote her off as dead long ago. She should have given them some time to overcome the shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between those worries and the speech she's preparing for her father. Dad, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's all mine. Dad, can you forgive me? She says the words over and over, her throat tightening even as she rehearses them. She hasn't apologized to anyone in years. The bus has been driving with lights on since Bay City. Tiny snowflakes hit the road and the asphalt steams. She's forgotten how dark it gets at night out here. A deer darts across the road and the bus swerves, every so often a billboard, a sign posting the mileage to Traverse City. Oh God, 
When the bus finally rolls into the station, its air brakes hissing in protest, the driver announces in a crackly voice over the microphone, 15 minutes, folks, that's all we have here. 15 minutes to decide her life. She checks herself in a compact mirror, smooths her hair, licks the lipstick off her teeth. She looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips and wonders if her parents will notice if they're there. She walks into the terminal, not knowing what to expect, and not one of the thousand scenes that have played out in her mind prepare her for what she sees. There, in the concrete walls and plastic chairs bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 family members. Brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and great-grandmother to boot. They are all wearing ridiculous-looking party hats and blowing noisemakers. And taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a banner that reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She looks through tears and begins the memorized speech. Dad, I'm sorry. I know he interrupts her. Hush, child. We've got no time for that. No time for apologies. You'll be late for the party. A banquet is waiting for you at home. Wow. Is there anything that would have made that father happier than the joy, the pure joy of holding his daughter one more time? God is the happiest when one who is lost is found. It just is. And shouldn't our supreme goal be the happiness of God? Shouldn't we devote our lives and our prayers and our attention to what would bring God the greatest smile, to what would bring God the greatest joy? God is the happiest when the one who is lost is found. Our vision as a church, you know if you've been a part of this church for a while, is honor experience influence honor we, we honor the lord that's what we do experience our next step well, we want to grow in the faith because god's not finished we talked about that last week and then influence honor experience influence influence here's what we say it's the love and the power of god affecting someone through me the love and the power of god affecting someone through you and as a church we have what you might call two bullseyes when it comes to influence influencing our world, impacting those around us. The first one that I'll, I'll mention is together missions. Together missions. It, it is saying, you know, we're going to come together, we're going to pray, we're going to give so that people all over the world can hear the message of Christ, not just in our community, but globally. Together missions. Together missions. It, it's my prayer and desire that everyone who is a part of this church would give to missions, even if it is a dollar, that everyone would be like, no, I'm in this. It might be a little bit, it might be a lot bit, but I'm in this to gather missions. In 2021, we had 
a record year for our missions giving as a church. Absolute, by far, record year. And as a church, we gave $813,000 to support missions around this world. And then we headed into 2022, a year of inflation and shrinkflation, right? A challenging year financially for so many. And we come to the end of 2022, and our missions giving total for 2022 is this. $926,765.44. A 13% increase in 2022. Why? Because we as a church, we're together. We know that God is the happiest when one who is lost is found, and so we're going after it. And that money went to support a, a couple hundred missionaries every month and projects, and it, and it dug water wells, and, and it helped to rescue people from trafficking, and it helped to support orphanages, and it helped to plant churches all over the world. It's remarkable. Thank you. Thank you for making God happy, for being about God's heart. Together missions, the other bullseye there is personal witness. I believe this is the greatest way that we impact our communities and our families, is the love and the power of God affecting someone through us each and every day. People that we're around, the doors that God opens, the love and the power of God affecting people through us. Now, we can't save anyone, right? But we can pray. We can't save anyone. We'll admit that. We can pray. And in these 40 days of prayer, that's been a, a central piece of what we're doing. Is we're praying for the lost. We're praying for family members and friends and neighbors, coworkers who don't know the Lord. We're praying, we're praying, we're praying. When we come together on these Wednesday nights for 40 days of prayer, we are praying. We're seeking the Lord. We're praying for the lost, praying that God will open their eyes so that they would know the Lord and come to faith in him. We can't save anyone we can pray. We can't save anyone, but we can love. We can do that, right? We can love like Christ loves with his help. We can love others like Christ loves us. We can love our family members and our coworkers like Christ loves us. Why can't we? Christ loves us and he gives us his love. We can't save anyone, but we can love. We can't save anyone, but we can live. We can live a life that points people to God. That's something we can do through his grace. We can live a life that's different, a life that stands out. People are like, hmm, that's interesting. You do that or don't do that. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. We can't save anyone, but we can live. And we can't save anyone, but we can share. We can't change anyone's life, but we can share. We can share about Jesus. We can share that there is an eternity. We can share that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except for him. We can share a testimony, right, of what God's done in us. The gazillion things God has done in us and for us and through us. We can share. Can't save anyone, but we can pray. We can love. We can live. And we can share as the Holy Spirit empowers us. Here's the thing. God is the happiest when one who was lost is found. May we be about what makes God happy. Would you all bow your heads with me for a moment? I believe I would miss something today if I did not give opportunity to those who are here in this place who have not yet stepped into relationship with God, or maybe you've run from God. In other words, you're lost. The Bible says it really clear. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. 
Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord God, God the Father, has laid on God the Son, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. If we're not in Christ, in relationship with him, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible is very clear. We need a Savior. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came. He died on the cross for your sin. He was buried, but he rose again on the third day just like he had said, proving that he is God, the Savior of all mankind. And if you're here today and you have not yet, or it's, it, it, you've run from God, and, and today is your day, I'm telling you, today is your day to come into relationship with him, to make sure you're in right relationship with him, to get right with God through Jesus Christ. For those that are here today and you say, today's my day, I want to get right with God through Jesus Christ. Would you just slip up a hand right where you're at? The opportunity to pray with you. Yes, so there are others. You slip up a hand. Just keep it up so that I can see you. I don't want to miss anybody. Looking up in the balcony. Anyone else? You say, today's my day. Today's my day. Yes, anyone else? Anyone else? I want to be right with God through Jesus Christ. All right, you can put hands down. I saw at least a couple of hands. I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask those who lifted a hand to pray out loud and repeat after me. But I'm going to ask the church, uh, those who are believers in this place, would you join us as well and pray out loud, helping them have courage as they, as they come to the Lord. Because here's the thing, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you come into this place, you say, I want to get right with God through Jesus. Here's the thing, you can call on the name of the Lord. We're going to do that right now. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus. I have sinned against you. I am not worthy of you at all. But I believe that you love me, that you came to this earth, that you died on the cross, that you rose again, and that you are on the throne. And you love me. And so I ask you now, Lord Jesus Christ, to be my Savior to forgive me of my sins, to set me free from my past, and to set my feet on solid ground in you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and for dying. In Jesus' name, amen. The Word of God says this to whoever confesses with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believes in their heart that God has raised them from the dead, you will be saved. What a promise. Anyone in this place saved? Won't you please stand? Everyone in this place. For those who today have prayed, I, I, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. You've accepted him into your life. Please tell someone before you leave, maybe someone you're sitting by, and we also ask that you would just, before you leave, there's a card in front of you as a QR code if you want to use that. Next steps, just mark on there the decision that you've made. You can put that in either one of the red boxes or give it to an usher. We want to connect with you this week. We want to send you something that's going to help you take your next steps in Christ. We want to pray for you by name, even this week, and help you move forward in the faith. Now let me ask, as we close our service today, how many in this place know someone that either doesn't know the Lord or you're not for sure if they know the Lord. 
most of us, if not all of us. If you put your hands down. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray one more time, okay? Because some of you lifted a hand, you're thinking of a person that you've prayed 200 gazillion times for. We're going to pray one more time because what did Jesus teach us in these parables? How long did the shepherd keep searching for that sheep? Until, until, until. We're going to keep praying. We're going to pray one more time right now. Can, right now, I'm going to lead in prayer, but you're praying for that person. You're praying for that family member, the coworker, the neighbor, the friend, whoever it is. You're praying for that person. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, we come before you right now. God, we know that we can't save anybody, but you can. We know that we can't change their heart, but you can. We can't soften their heart, but you can. And so, Lord, we're praying for that person. And everyone in this place has a person that they're praying for. We're praying for that person, Lord. There's a face. There's a name. This is a real person, someone that you've created. And, Lord, we know that you see them, that you're relentlessly pursuing them. And we're praying that even this week that you would do something in their life, that you would cause there to be a miracle, a sign, and a wonder, that you would cause there to be someone that would come into their life and to be Jesus to them. Lord, that you would do a work in their heart so that their eyes open, so that they can see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work that man cannot do, that you would soften a heart, that you would convict a heart, that you would draw a heart to you. And, Lord, I pray that as we go through this week and as we go through this year, that we're going to have story after story after story of the lost being found. Lord, that we're not just going to say God is the happiest when the lost are found. We're going to say as a church, we're the happiest when the lost are found. And I pray that through this church, through us, the people, Lord, that you would do a work, that you would use us as catalysts to reach the lost, to share the hope that we have found in you with others. Give us boldness and courage through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we might be faithful witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray an anointing on each of us that we would be ambassadors and representatives for you this week as we are believing you to do the miraculous work of healing a heart, saving a heart, changing lives. God, I pray a blessing over everyone that is here. May your favor be on them. I pray that they will not doubt their salvation if they place their faith in you, but instead that they will walk in confidence and in peace. That you are with them, in them, around them, and for them. And Lord, may your favor be on each one so that we can accomplish what you've called us to do. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. And amen. Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today.